welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 28, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, and Matthew chapter 5. If you're the kind of person who's only going to pick one chapter, Matthew chapter 5 is where you probably need to be, and I'll meet you there here in just a minute. To start today, we're going to go just a little bit backwards, so I need your help with something. Can you guys help me with something? I got a few sures, I got a few yeses, and a bunch of people going, depends on what it is, all right? RB, pull it up for us. We're going to start today with the end in mind. This is our our mission that we say to ourselves each week. I need you guys to say it with me like we do at the end of service each week. Oh no, we might have to do it from memory. That would be bad, wouldn't it? There it is. Oh, thank goodness. Wrong one. The, The ending, RB. There we go. Okay, okay, here we go. Say it with me loud. Let's remind ourselves while we're here. It is my calling to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all, or teaching them to observe all the things my Savior has commanded me, and He is with me always. Some of you are a little too excited because you think you're going home early. No, we're just getting started. We just started with this. This is, this is what we call our mission when we come here to church. And we end every single service by saying our mission. And the reason we do that is because it speaks to our identity as a church. Ramsey Heights is a missional church. Everybody say amen. amen. We come here, and Ms. Glenita, we do not plan this. She told me this morning her song that had been on her heart just, just, just clicks with the message. It seems like every week that our specials click with that. Our job is to be here and be on mission. See, this is not just a club that you belong to. It's certainly not a place or a building. Ramsey Heights is not a name. Ramsey Heights is a group of people. You and I are the church. We are Ramsey Heights. And we come here not because it's a Sunday morning habit. We come here because we are glorifying God and we glorify God by obeying, learning, growing in Him and working for him. So weekly, we emphasize that mission to ourselves. As we leave here, we emphasize. We didn't just gather here today because it's Sunday morning and we should gather on Sunday morning. We gathered here today to prepare for and to accomplish the mission. Now, it's not something that we just picked, and many of you know this. This mission is not something that we just picked for ourselves and said, we we want to do this. This is a mission that we are commanded as the church to do. This is Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. I'm sorry, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is what we call the Great Commission, and it was given to believers. Your first take-home truth this morning is Ramsey Heights exists to glorify God by making disciples. That's what we're currently doing at this exact moment. We have set aside a time as a church where we're going to gather together as a group of believers. We're going to focus on worshiping God. We're going to learn to adore Him more, and then we're going to take some time to just be taught. We're going to open the Word of God together and do this. See, when Jesus leaves, last week we learned about the resurrection for 40 
40 days after that, he walks the earth. He gives us some instructions, and then he ascends into heaven. And those instructions are the Great Commission, that we are to be working, making disciples while he is gone. And what we've done is we've taken that command that Jesus Christ gives us because it is so precious to our identity, and we've personalized it so that we can say it in a certain way to remind ourselves each week what Jesus has commanded us to do. It's like some of you are parents. It's like, like you're, you're leaving the house and you're leaving your teenage daughter there. The last thing that you say is probably going to be the most important thing that you want to emphasize, right? Like, like, honey, we're leaving. Remember, no boys in the house while we're gone. Yes, dad, I know. I've already got my dad in mind going, yes, dad, I know. No boys in the house. It's like, okay, really? You're, what did I just say? While you're gone, I can't have any boys at the house. Right. And if you do, when I come back, what's going to happen? You're going to kill him first and me second, right? We, we make them repeat what the instructions are. So what we do here as a church is we repeat God's instructions to us, not because he tells us we have to repeat it to him, but to remind ourselves. The instruction is go make disciples. And so we repeat, I will go make disciples. Jesus says, I am with you always. You are with me always. We remind ourselves of this. So what does it mean to make disciples? It really comes down to two things. These are your next two take-home truths. Uh, number two, it says, making disciples means we, point A, is go into the world witnessing. When Jesus commanded us to make disciples, he says, go into all nations, go into the world making disciples, and then he says immediately after that, baptizing them. Now, baptism is something that happens once you become a believer. So if we're baptizing people, we're seeing people convert and become Christians, giving their life to Christ. Jesus is not commanding us to do drive-by baptisms. Like we're just at the park hiding behind a tree and somebody gets just a little too close to the river. We tackle them and throw them under the water. Holy Ghost, Father and Son, and then run off. That's not what baptizing people means. What it means is that when people come to Christ, they give a picture of their life or a picture of what is happening in their life through baptism. We'll learn that a little bit more next week. But in order for us to go into the world making disciples whom we will baptize, we must first make people followers of Jesus. That requires witnessing. Witnessing is a fancy word for telling people about Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you how he died for you. Let me tell you how he's changed my life. Let me tell you what that can mean for you. Let me tell you how to get the same eternal life that I have. And once we have accomplished that, the second part of the Great Commission, point B on your take-home truths, is grow. Uh, we make making disciples means we grow disciples in understanding. That, that simply means that we teach people how to follow Christ. Once again, what we're currently doing now, we're studying the Word of God, we're studying Jesus' instructions, we're studying the apostles' doctrine that they taught after walking with Jesus. We're studying that and we're learning how to become better Christians. See, the Word of God should transform you. If you come here each week and you're not changing, something is wrong. That's why we say, don't leave here the same way that you walked in. The Word of God is to change us and grow us. And as, as you mature as a believer, it's like growing as a child. You have new capabilities, new abilities, and new responsibilities. So the question is, is how does this apply to me? Yes, this is the mission. Yes, we say it every week. How does it apply to you personally and individually here this morning? Because what we think of a lot of times with a church is we think of a church as an organization that we attend. 
We think of it almost kind of like going to work. Like that place exists and then I go as an employee or as a consumer. But that's not what a church is. A church is not like that. See, there's a difference. I, as many of you guys know, I'm a teacher. I work at Concord schools, but Concord schools can function without me. I found this out the hard way. As many of you know, this is my last year teaching. And so immediately when I knew I'm not going to be teaching anymore, I went to my principal and I told him, I said, just a heads up, this is coming down the pike. After May, I'm done. I love it here. I love the school, but I've got opportunities to minister. That's where I'm going to be. And so we had a few, you know, tear-filled moments like, oh, I can't believe you're leaving. We love you so much. At least I think that's what he said. Anyway, and, and then later that day, by the end of the day, this had gotten around the school, and I'm already hearing rumors about who's going to replace me. And I'm thinking, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, there's no way they've replaced me that quick. I am much too important. Up until a week and a half later, the person who's going to replace me comes up and says, I'm going to replace you. I said, okay. You know, it kind of insulted me, made me feel real special. Apparently, I'm not as needed as I thought I was, but whatever. But th that's how an organization works. But listen, a church is not like that. A church is not an organization that you're employed by. A church is the people of the church. So listen, we may add some people here and there. We may subtract some people here and there. But a church needs each and every individual person. You are the church. As a matter of fact, that is our next take-home truth. Number three, I am Ramsey Heights. When you walk into this place, I want you to think that you are Ramsey Heights. I'm Ramsey Heights too, but not me alone. This building is just a building. It will one day not be here. But this church exists in the hearts of each one of us and in us collectively. That, that's what a church is. So, so follow my logic here on what I'm thinking. If you and I are Ramsey Heights, if you and I are the church, if Ramsey Heights, if the church has a mission, then that mission is yours and my personal mission. It belongs to me personally. It belongs to you personally. It is for each one of us. And a lot of times I think we confuse this as an organizational mission. Like it's something that we come to church and we say, like, yeah, that's what a church is supposed to do. And then we do that when we're together. We all get together and do that together. Or that we do that, uh, or actually our, a lot of times we think our leadership does that. Our pastor and our deacons are supposed to, to lead in that. But truly, this personal mission is a, uh, a life calling that we take into the world. This is why we say immediately after saying this, we say, be awake or I'm going to get on to you. You are not dismissed. You are. We say you are sent. Because we are sending you into the world as a church. We've come together collectively. And now we're going out to our places in the world with this mission on our minds. We get church services mixed up sometimes. Like that's the entire purpose of our faith. Like going to church is the purpose of our faith. I go to church. I'm going to worship a little bit. That's part of my faith. We're going to open the Bible. I'm going to learn something. That's part of my faith. And we tend to think that this moment, this hour of the week is what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a church. But that's completely incorrect. Church is a lot like, a, like an iPhone. Um, I realize that some of you don't have iPhones, so you're just going to have to you know, keep up with the smarter ones of us that do, okay? But listen, just, just think about this. Think about how a phone works. Every night when I go to bed, I hook this phone to the charger. 
Now, the most important function of my phone is not the time that it's hooked up to the charger. The charger is simply preparing the phone for the next day when I need this phone to function away from the power source. That's what church is for you. That's what church, attend- or church uh, services are for us. This is not the key to being a Christian. This is when we charge ourselves up, we get ready to go in the world and accomplish the mission as we go out, and then we come back again next week or midweek, and we recharge ourselves again. See, when we leave here, we go out to face a dirty, dirty world, but that world is our mission field. I love, there's one church in town down on Main Street, and at the exit of every parking lot, they have a sign there that says, you are now entering the mission field. I love that. I want that on our wall somewhere. When you leave here, church is not over. Church is just beginning. You are charged up. You are taught up. You are prepared. Now go out into the world, make disciples. That's what what our purpose is. So when we go out in the world, we take our mission to our realm of influence. Everybody in here has a specific place in which God has placed you that you can work. That may be your place of business where you work at. You, you can go in and you can, you can be an example for Christ and use your work as a mission field. By the way, let me say this. A few years ago, I was a little bit bitter about going to school. I don't know if you guys remember you know, that whole COVID thing. I know it was worse on our medical workers, but I think teachers had it second as bad. I was bitter. I didn't want to go anymore. I hated my job. You know what changed that? Is when my mind changed from, I have to come here to get a paycheck, to I get to come here because this is my mission field. And now I love going to work. I love going there because I know God has a purpose where I'm at. And this can be the same for you. Maybe, maybe your realm of influence is just simply within your family. Maybe you need to, to disciple your kids in a way. And by the way, if all you're doing to disciple your kids is bringing them to church on a Sunday, you need to do a little bit more at home to show them your personal faith. If you're a teenager or you're in college, you go to school, God has placed you in a school in a class as your mission field. It doesn't matter where you're at, you can be intentional to make disciples. Our next take-home truth is, I am called to make disciples in my own realm of influence. As you leave here, you are called to make disciples wherever you're at. Collectively, we're all in one place right now. At this exact moment, we will only make disciples of people who are in this room. But when we leave here, we're going to go to 60 or 70 different places. And we're going to talk to 10, 12, 20 different people in those places in which we can start to spread the gospel, in which we can accomplish the Great Commission. So our new series that we're starting today, Shine Bright, is all about how do we share the gospel in the world? We're going to focus on the first half of that mission, making disciples, witnessing for Jesus Christ, and how you and I do that, not in this room, but when we go out those doors. And I'll be honest with you, I'll go ahead and say it, that's a little scary. It's a little scary for us to go out into the world and witness. I took an evangelism course one time, and it was supposed to train you how to share the gospel. And I was speaking with another person, and you know what both of us said? is like, that's just not me. This, I don't really know if this is going to work for me that way. I'm probably not going to do what they've asked me to do. And the reason we do that is because we start thinking, well, what are people going to think about me if I open up the awkward conversation about Jesus? Are people going to start to avoid me? Will, will I be the weird Christian off in the corner? And with all that insecurity, we start to think, well, I really don't know what to say in the first place. 
What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if they ask me about the specifics of Levitical law when it comes to the different types of sacrifices and I can't answer that? It's probably better if, if I don't, you know, really do that because I could do more harm than good. And then we start to, if we're really spiritual, we might say, well, maybe what I should do is just invite them to church. Which, by the way, please invite people to church. But you're not called to invite people to church. You're called to make disciples. And the way it comes out sometimes is, I don't want you to be mad at me, but you know, I go to church. You can come if you want to. If you don't want to, that's okay too. I still like you. That's not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to go boldly into the world, proclaiming who he is. And I'm going to tell you a secret that's going to make it easier for you to do this. People who know you want and expect you to share the gospel with them. If they know who you are, it's an expectation of them. They're not offended. They may not receive the gospel, but they're not offended at it most of the time. Um, a couple weeks ago, the tornadoes that tore through Little Rock, I had two very close friends who are not saved uh, right in the path of those. One of them within 200 yards of where the tornado came through. The other one, we're still not sure how it missed him. It, it literally should have went right over top of him. But as the week went on, I was just thinking that they've got to be thinking at this point about their own morality. And so I sent, I sent a text message to one of them. I said, hey, bud, um, I said, I know you well enough to know that you're scared about what happened last week. I said, we just need to talk about, you know, maybe, maybe you've thought about what would happen if you would have died that day. Because there were other people within a mile of you who did die that day. It could have been you. I said, I've been praising God that it wasn't you. I've been praising God that you have an opportunity to come to him. I said, when you're ready to talk, send me a message, man. I want to talk to you so bad about coming to know Jesus. He didn't answer. I started to panic a little bit. I was like, oh no, maybe I messed up. He's looking at a text message going, oh, there's BC. That's what my friends call me. BC's being, being a Jesus person again. But I got the text message back. And you know what the text message said? It said, thank you for thinking and praying about me. He said, I don't always act like it, but it really means a lot that you reach out to me. His expectation, even if he's not ready to receive Christ, is that somebody who loves him will reach out to him with the gospel. Some of you may have heard of the, the magician duo Penn and Teller. They do illusions and stuff like that. They're one of the most famous magicians of our time. I think they've been playing Vegas for a really long time. But uh, the, the one of them, the one that actually talks, one of them doesn't talk. That's kind of their theatrics. The one that talks is a very avowed, outspoken atheist. And he is very clear he does not believe that there is a God. There's no room for a God in his theology of life. But in 2016, he took to his YouTube channel and he said, I want to tell you guys a story. He said, at the end of one of my shows, one of the people who we had called up on stage to, to be a part of the act, he was standing over to the side waiting on me as we were coming out and they were shaking hands and doing meet and greet and things of that nature. He said, as he stood there, he came over to me and he said, I'm not insane. Well, it was good to know. And he handed me a Bible, and then on the inside of the Bible, he had written, loved your show, and then he had put in, I think he said, five different phone numbers at which I could reach him at, and an email address in case I wanted to talk to him about what I had read in the Bible. This is what Penn Jillette says about that particular interaction. An avowed atheist after being witnessed to by a follower in Christ. It was really wonderful. 
I believe that he knew I was an atheist, but he was not defensive and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was only kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And then later in this video, he goes on to talk about how he feels about Christians who do not spread the gospel. He says this, I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could, go to, could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them that because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? That means witness. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. See, people, people expect you to love them enough to share the gospel with them, even if they're not ready to respond to it. And so when we go out, when you hear that voice that says, ooh, this is going to be awkward, or they're not going to know what to do with this, or they give you that look like, are you fixing to try to tell me? You just push through that. You know why? Because it's Satan trying to distract you from bringing somebody to know him. For not know him, know Jesus, know him, him that him. So, so, so listen, what we're going to be focusing on is how do we do this? And the first step and the core of what we're going to start with is our actions. When I was growing up here, we had a pastor, Mike Ball, and he would say this quite often. He would say, witness to people as much as possible, and only when necessary, use words. I loved that as a teenager. I've told you guys, I was awkward as a teenager. I wouldn't even order it Sonic because I had to push the button and talk to somebody through a speaker. I was that shy. And I loved it. It's like, you mean to tell me I don't have to tell anybody about Jesus? I can just go out there and live it, and then that'll be good enough. And I was all bought into that. As I've grown, I have a slight disagreement with that. If you're a follower of Christ, there will come a point when you will need to vocally proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior to people that you love. That is true. But I completely agree with the premise of the statement. And the premise of the statement is, is that people are going to see Jesus Christ in your actions before they will hear him in your words. Listen, listen carefully. Nobody wants to hear you talk about Jesus Christ changing their life if he has not changed your life first. I'm going to say that again. Nobody wants to hear you talk about Jesus Christ changing your life if he has not changed your life first. Several years ago in college, um, several of my buddies were over at my apartment. This may disappoint some of y'all, but I wasn't quite the same person then than I, that I am now. They were all over there. And a spiritual conversation broke out. And I'm just going to be honest with y'all. We spent a lot of time talking about video games and girls and what we're going to do on the weekend. We didn't talk about spiritual things very much. And so two of my buddies are sitting on the couch and, and they're, they're beginning this spiritual conversation. One of my buddies had grown up in church, was a, proclaimed to be a Christian, and he began to talk to my buddy about, you know, you have a need for Jesus and stuff like that. And I was enjoying it. I'm like, yeah, you do, because you're a heathen. You need, you need some Jesus. And, um, and he said these words, and I'll never forget this because it just struck me. My, my, my buddy who's not a Christian was sitting there and going, I just don't understand the rules. Like, the rules seem, seem really, really really dumb. And, and my, my friend says to this other buddy, my friend who's a Christian says to my buddy who's not a Christian, he says, that's the thing. He said, when you truly come to know Jesus, he will change what you want. And I agree with that statement 100%. He had been taught that. He had been trained in that. Now I'm going to tell you why that statement didn't take effect. 
because both of them in the midst of this conversation were blackout drunk. There's no reason that we go to somebody and tell them, Jesus will change your life, but then we don't live it. Because then what we're communicating to them is I'm telling you, you need your life to change, but my life that looks just like yours is okay. That's a confusing statement. That's a way to confuse people. And so our first step, if we're going to witness, is how we witness with our actions. Your next take on truth, number five, is to spread the gospel. Our identities must be shaped by the gospel. See, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, when he called us to make disciples, there is an underlying understanding that you yourself are already a disciple who has been transformed. That you are living differently than the world and that you are living so differently that it's obvious to those that you share the gospel with. Listen to how Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 5 if you want to turn there. Listen to how Jesus talked about how we share the gospel, how we appear to the world. This is verses 14 through 16. Jesus says this, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now listen, that statement is true. But the reason we do that statement, listen to the next part. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and that they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, Jesus calls us in our actions and how we live as the light of the world. Think about the nature of light for a second. Think about what Jesus is saying about you and me and who we should be when we go out when he calls us the light of the world. Number one is wherever there is light, there is no darkness. You can light one match in a dark room and it will throw light all throughout the darkness. And where there is light, the darkness flees. When we are Christians, when we are the light of the world, we illuminate the darkness. We let people see what is unseen. Darkness and light cannot exist together. And light always wins. Secondly, light is comforting in unsure times. Light is a comforting thing. How many of you grew up with a nightlight? Yeah, some of you guys are like, I still have one. Yeah, we have one too. It's okay. Like, like nightlights are comforting when you're scared. If you go to Silver Dollar City, there's a cavern at the beginning of the, of the city. It's actually what Silver Dollar City was built on. And, and when I was young, we went in the cavern and, and we got right to that beyond, you know, you can't turn back point before I got scared and decided I didn't want to do this anymore. And I remember being really scared and I was kind of panicking and I was crying a little bit. It's okay, I was 25, so I was younger. But like, I was panicking a little bit and this, this older, I can't remember if it was a man or a lady, but I remember somebody had rented a flashlight and they came and they offered it to me. And just knowing that that flashlight was available, just knowing that that light was there was a comfort enough for me that it settled me down. What is I going to do with a flashlight if, you know, a bat attacked me? Nothing. But light has a comforting effect in uncertain times. And light also has an attractive warmth. I don't know what it is about human beings. I could spend the rest of my life, I could go without eating, I could go without TV, I could go without my phone, if you would build me a campfire and just let me stare at it for the rest of my life. What is it about light that attracts us? But it does. Some years ago, 
um, my dad and, and his family, we were going off on a vacation. I think I had to work that day, and so I come down later. We were going down to visit some family in Texas. They had like a little beach house, or not beach house, a lake house down there. And when I got down there, it was like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and my dad's sitting out on the dock fishing. And I'm like, this is, we're not fishing at 1 o'clock in the morning. This is, this is weird. He said, no, no, this is the best time. My uncle's there. This is the best time to fish. And at this particular house, they had taken an underwater light, and about 30 foot off the dock, there was just this glow of light. And he said, what happens is at nighttime, that light attracts the fish, and if you will take your rod and reel and cast across it and drag your lure across that, that light, all those fish are hanging out around the light, and that's how you catch them at night. It's actually better fishing at nighttime here than it is in the day. We're attracted to light, and men are the same way. You know, it, it interests me with that story. What did Jesus call his disciples? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, light is attractive to people. And if you don't believe me, if you say, I don't think light is attractive, I've got a challenge for you. On December 20th or thereabouts, at about 6 o'clock at night on a Saturday, I challenge you to go drive to Batesville when the Christmas display is up. It is miserable. Thousands of cars from all over the state, sometimes from other states, attracted to Batesville. Why? Light. We are the light of the world. And so what Jesus is saying in this statement is he's saying, go into all of the world, shine in the darkness, comfort others in unsure times, and let the warmth of your personality attract others to me. Everywhere you go, you can do this. It doesn't matter if you're going to the pharmacy, if you're going to work, to the doctor's office. It doesn't matter if you're going to the DMV because those people need some light sometimes. Let me just say, it doesn't matter where you go, you can do this. My uncle, uh, my uncle Johnny, died a couple years ago. My uncle Johnny was a construction worker. When he was saved in 1999, he couldn't read, didn't have a GED or anything. He was actually learning to read so he could read the Bible. But he had a transformational moment where he went from, from jail and drugs to a powerhouse for Christ. And one of the last times I talked to him before he passed away, he, he, said, he said, Brian, it's such a blessing. Now I'm the old man on the construction job sites and I have all of these boys who are leaving home for the first time and their life's falling apart and something's wrong with their marriage. He said, and they call me Grandpa Coates. And everybody knows at the job sites that I work at, Grandpa Coates will hug you, he will listen to you, and he will pray for you. He said, that is such an opportunity for me to share Christ. And when he died, we found boxes of these. He had these, these cards printed out. I keep this one in my Bible. And it simply says, what should you know? First, you need to be saved. Second, you cannot save yourself. Third, Jesus has provided for your salvation. Fourth, you must accept Jesus as salvation. Fifth, now is the time to accept Jesus as Savior. And then it explains what to do with all the Bible verses associated with that. A bulldozer driver. A light in his own realm of influence. That's what God calls us to do to be that. Number six is that being a light means you will stand out in the darkness. See, people, people will see you. You know, for as much as that cave scared me when I was little, now that I'm older, I love caves. It's my favorite thing to do, Jessica and I, uh, when we were dating, especially before we had a kid. Anytime we went somewhere that had a cave, we wanted to go in the cavern. And every cavern I've ever been in does the same thing. They say something real smart-alecky like, let me show you what the cavern really looks like. And then they go flip off the lights just out of surprise, you know, because they're nice like that. And in that moment, darkness surrounds you. There's a kind of darkness that makes it hard to see. There's a darkness that feels like a fog that surrounds you. And that's what you find in the caverns of the Ozarks. And in that moment, any small amount of light commands your attention. 
somebody moves and their watch comes on and everybody looks at it. Heaven forbid somebody pulls their phone out. It's like Jesus is coming back with the brightness of it in there. Like, like, like every little bit of light just, just stands out. And so if we're going to be light going into a dark world, going into the mission field, we will attract attention. We will be different. We will stand out. And we hate that. See, we love, we love conformity. We love to, to, to fit in, to, to feel like we're accepted into society. That's why some of you, ladies, I'm going to pick on y'all. That's why some of you this morning are wearing shoes that really, really hurt your feet. But your best friend at work had a pair of just like them, and they looked really cute, and so I thought they'd look cute on me, and I'd wear them. Tell me I'm wrong. I'll put myself in that. I would love to be in flip-flops right now, but there's a social convention that says preachers cannot wear flip-flops when they preach, so I'm not wearing flip-flops. We, we don't like to stand out. We don't like to be different. Kids, kids are the worst about trends, and they come up with some of the dumbest trends. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. Silence. Kids come up with dumb trends. Amen! Woo! Man, these kids get these words, and every year there's a new word for junior high kids that they come up with, and they say it until it drives you insane, and you're like, Jesus, hush. A few years ago it was ratchet. That's ratchet. Everything's ratchet. Your clothes are ratchet. That meant bad in some way. A few years ago it was cap. That's cap. That means you're lying. 50 times, 50 times a period. That's cap. Don't say that. Yes, no, it's true. Seriously, there was a World War II. It's not cap. Like, like they come up with these trends. And we do the same thing others do because we like to fit in. But listen, you are not like the world. You are meant to stand out. See, we a lot of times think that standing out is negative. But if you completely blend into the world, you will never impact it. History lesson time. I've got a, a picture coming up here. This is Mr. Winston Churchill. If you don't know Winston Churchill, he was prime minister, that's like their president of Great Britain, during World War II. Prior to World War II, in the years before um, the actual war started, Europe realized they had a Hitler problem. This guy is taking over a little bit of everything. And so they were trying to figure out, how do we stop Hitler without going to war with him? And the previous uh, prime minister to Winston Churchill was named Neville Chamberlain. And he went and met with Hitler, and this is what Hitler said. He said, I've taken a little bit of land here and there. If you will let me have it, I will be happy, and then I will no longer have a need to take land, and then it will just have peace. That's called appeasement. And so all the leaders of Europe went along with this, okay? Let him have what he's taken, and then we'll be happy, and that will end it. It's kind of like that book. You guys have read that book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. If you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. If you give him a glass of milk, he'll want a pancake. Give him a pancake, he'll want a Ferrari. It just keeps going. That's what it was like with Hitler. And just months before Hitler invades Poland, starting off the, world, um, the Second World War, Neville Chamberlain comes back to Great Britain and he gives this big speech. Dumbest thing said in history. I have secured peace in our time. Months before the seven-year war that claimed over 230 million lives. But there was one voice in all of Britain, while everybody else cheered, there was one voice in all of Britain who was not very popular and it said, yeah, that's not going to work. Winston Churchill said this, you had to choose between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor so you will have war. See, he stood out. But listen, when things got real in the middle of the war... When Hitler was breathing down the neck of crossing the English Channel and taking over Great Britain, who did they turn to? Winston Churchill. And he is largely regarded as, if not the most influential person in the 20th century, one of, and he is usually on the most influential people in all of history kind of list. Because he was willing to stand out. See, to stand out 
is a positive when the norm is negative. And let me tell you something about right now. Our world is so negative. I'm so tired of hatred. So tired of people sacrificing their families and their children on the altars of success. We don't want to be like the world. It's a dirty, nasty, dark place. We should stand out. We should be the light. 1 Peter 2.9 says this about Christians. That Jesus died to gather unto himself a group of peculiar people. That means odd, weird, different. And this is what makes them different. That they are zealous, that means excited, of good works. And it's interesting that good works is exactly what Jesus refers to when he says letting your light shine in verse 16. See, when, when we do certain things, we point to God. And God's plan is for us to be different. God's plan is for us to shine so that he can, can put us up on a pedestal and show us to the rest of the world. Jesus even says it. Do you light a candle and put it under a basket? No, that's silly. You light a candle in the darkness and you put it up on a lampstand where everybody can see it. And that's God's plan with you. His plan is not to hide you and your differences. His plan is to exalt you and elevate you in plain sight. And what he wants to do to the world is he wants to take you and send you up and say, you see this? This is a Christian. This is what life should be like. While, while everybody else is walking around in selfishness and taking advantage of other people, look at this Christian loving and caring and putting others' needs in front of theirs. This person walks into work every single day and they seem to have a little bit of joy and everybody else seems miserable. When everybody else panics, this person is a source and a steady supply of peace. And when the world is evil, everybody looking out for themselves, you can see the good works of this person. The effect of that is that people will glorify God. Number seven on your take-home truths, the effect of living as a light is that others will glorify God. And so God's plan is that when we walk out in the world, that people will be like, look at that Ashley. Uh, look, at, look at that Denise. Look at that Larry. Look at that Leo. There's something about them. They're a little weird. Every time, every, time we start, every time we start gossiping around the water cooler and talking about how much we hate our boss, they walk away. You remember that time that, that so-and-so was having financial problems and we were all like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's what happens when you spend your money like you do. But, but yet they, they showed up with an envelope full of money and said, let me help you through your hard time. That was, that was odd. Yeah, they're different, but there's something real about the way that they're different. And it causes people to think maybe there is a God who does transform lives. See, for some people in the world, the only view of God they will ever get is you and me. They're, they're not going to open their Bibles and go looking for him because they're bored. They're not going to find him in the world. They can't know him like we know him until we introduce them to him. And you are in constant view. And they're constantly confronted with the character of God in you. You know what the word Christian means? It means to be Christ-like. So, so when people see you, you should be putting off a picture of who Jesus Christ is to the world. One more story today. I'm an ice cream aficionado. I don't know if you know what that means. That means I like a lot of ice cream. And actually, I'm not an aficionado. I like chocolate ice cream. But when you go to an ice cream shop, and I've ate them all, everyone in Batesville, including the one in the, you know, the gas station, what they'll do is they'll always have little plastic spoons or little wooden spoons, and they'll offer you, do you want to try one? And they'll give you a taste of one that looks like it's really cool. And what they're trying to do is give you a taste of it so you'll say, I like that ice cream, and then you'll cheat on chocolate with the new ice cream. 
The ideal is if they can give you a taste that it may entice you to want a little bit more. When you shine for Jesus, what you're doing is giving the world a taste of his love and his goodness. That's what we are called to do. That's what we're about to leave and do here in just a few minutes. So let me ask you this. Well, actually, then and only then can we tell them what Christ did for us. I'm different because I was lost and now I'm found. I serve because he served. I love because he loved. I was in darkness and he brought me into light. I was a slave to sin and he purchased me on the cross. And you can have that too. So now let me ask you this question. Is that how you shine when you leave here? Because it's what God calls us to. It's to shine in the world. Is that what we focus on? Is that what we do when we go to our places of work, when we go home? Do we plan to shine for Jesus Christ? And you may be sitting here today, and I just really believe that God works in a lot of ways when we open up His Word. You may be sitting here today, and I bet you that you're sitting there, and there's probably been something on your heart that said, "Uh, I don't shine because I keep doing this. What Jesus is calling us to do, what God is calling us to do is change who we are so we can shine for him more. Brother Danny, Miss Glenita. See, maybe today, maybe the point of this message is just to remind us to be, to be practical about going to work, going into the world, and having an idea that I want to show Jesus to people just in the way that I live. But he may be also be convicting us that, hey, you're a church member and you show up every Sunday, but you can't shine for me because you don't actually know me. If that's you today, as I offer every Sunday, I want you to know salvation is available to you. And I hope that the other followers of Christ in your life have shown you that it's a necessity to know Christ and what He can do for you. But maybe you're like me and you've been saved. And you get a little, you know, you get a little gray and tired and, and you don't always live for Him. Maybe today's the day that you want to just come lay that at Christ's feet and say, hey, I'm tired. I'm tired of this sin creeping up in my life. I'm tired of going to work and being selfish. I want to show you to the world and ask Him. And listen, He will shine through you. No matter what God's calling you to do, don't leave here the same way that you walked in. Let's stand and worship.